Hello and welcome back to another episode of Holistic Healers. If you're returning, thanks again for listening. I hope these episodes have been helpful for you. Um, And if you're new, welcome to the show. There are so many episodes published already on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts for you to enjoy. So um, definitely go check those out if you haven't already. Um, But let's get into today's new episode. So I wanted to bring on a guest who is actually a friend from high school. He is a former Division I athlete. He played baseball in college and is now currently a substitute teacher. So we actually recently reconnected over social media because he was posting some wonderful blogs and just some daily posts of his thoughts um, when it comes to things like change, staying present, and even topics about like self-doubt. And I was like, what better person to have on the show to talk about things like that, as well as, you know, just his experiences, um, what he's been dealing with lately, and his journey within healing. So uh, without further ado, I want to welcome my friend, Luke Laflamme. Hey, how's it going? Why don't you start off telling us a little more about yourself? Um, so currently I'm a substitute teacher in the Cherry Creek School District, which is the school district we got up in. Um, but my, uh, entire childhood was pretty much defined by, uh, sports. So I was a student athlete in high school and then I went on to play baseball, at Arizona State University, and I got my undergrad in finance. And then, uh, I tried to keep the dream going and continue my athletic career at the University of Nevada when I was there for two months um, and long story short had a career-ending injury uh, in October of last year and then um, moved back home and that's when I started my substitute career. Talk to me a little more about this injury what happened? Um, So my junior year at ASU I think it was um Man, I want to say March 29th or something. I was working out just like a normal Monday workout. And um, my arm, my right arm doubled in size and uh, turned purple. So this was obviously alarming. <clears throat> um, and right away, they didn't really know what it was. So um, I didn't get uh, in to see a doctor until the next day. Um, and they did an ultrasound um, on my upper extremity so this is um kind of like right under my collarbone and they found a blood clot between my first rib and uh collarbone or clavicle and and, um so i was sent to a hospital right away and was put on blood thinners and then um that's when i found out that i had thoracic outlet syndrome which is very common in overhead athletes so like baseball players um, tennis players volleyball players so over the course of the next two to three weeks. I was uh, in two hospitals for nine days. I had to have um, three operations to try and, I think it was four operations actually, to try and um, dislodge the clot and then one surgery to remove my first rib to prevent further clotting. Um, So uh, I had the surgery done in April. The last operation was done in like the end of April. And then uh, I started playing again in, um, let's see, I think it was October of uh, 2021. And um, 
yeah, finished my senior year at ASU and then uh, transferred to the University of Nevada and felt okay. I definitely could tell that my arm wasn't the same. And then uh, one day I felt something that I probably, you know, it was concerning, like a throbbing sensation. So I had it checked out again, had another ultrasound done and found out that the blood clot was back. So right now I have a blood clot and I'm scheduled to go to St. Louis to get a consultation with one of the best surgeons for this specific um, diagnosis. So uh, we'll kind of see from there, but I may have to have another surgery here soon. Oh my gosh. So it's just comes yeah. from like sports? Uh, pretty much. So a majority of the, uh, honestly, I, I don't know. I don't know the number for sure, but um, there are a lot of like Americans that have thoracic outlet syndrome, but they don't know it. It shows up in different ways. There's uh, venous, which is what I had, arterial, which is your arteries. And then there's, um, I don't know what the proper term for it, but it affects your nerves. So, um, and that's the most common one. And uh, a lot of the symptoms show up when you have tingling in your hands. That's the most common symptom. So anytime you have um, like an overhead movement, like let's say you're, you're sleeping and like you leave your arm up like this and then you wake up and your arm falls asleep. Well, it can be like caused from thoracic outlet syndrome, which basically like your first rib sits right under your clavicle. And then there's like a bunch of uh, your thoracic outlet is like this area that allows your veins, arteries and nerves to run through. And every time you, or at least for me, every time I like would throw a ball or reach overhead, um, my first rib and clavicle would pinch off that vein. So over time, um, it kind of just clotted up. There was so much like scar tissue around it that it just wasn't working anymore. Oh, geez. That sounds so painful. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's weird because I feel like there was a lot of, well, so they told me based off of the collateral veins, which is like veins that my body creates because of the lack of blood flow. I mean, it's amazing how like, well the body can compensate, but based off of the amount of collateral veins I had, they predicted that the blood clot was there for over like two years. Um, and I never, I had pain, but I just thought it was like typical, uh, pitcher. Um, I don't know, just like tenderness. I don't know. And kind of the culture I was brought up in, it was just like, you weren't, you just did everything you could to like push through injuries, especially at the college level. There's, you know, you have an injury, you're chomping at the bit to try and get like even on, on the roster. So, um, it's tough. I kind of just like put it off and, and eventually it kind of, um, yeah. Yeah. Told me I couldn't put it off anymore. So, um, yeah, but it was a blessing in disguise. It was a blessing in disguise for sure. So how was that culture within? Cause I, I know I've known you since high school, but like mm-hmm. either, either high school or college, how was that mentality of like, you know, ignore your injuries, ignore what you're going through. Um, do you like that? Was it helpful? Um, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. I mean, um, I think it's just very cyclical, you know, it's like our, like the coaches that I had were probably taught by their coaches that it's not okay to like, I don't know, uh, be injured or act like you're injured. Or if you are injured, then you act like you don't. So I just feel like it's kind of in- engraved or, um, it's just so deeply rooted into like football baseball and so many like sports in general um I think it just takes like athletes out of their bodies almost and like they don't have any 
um, awareness uh, around like how to take care of their bodies sometimes just because they're, they're constantly just trying to like deal with injury while still being able to play. So it was grueling. And as you kind of got to a more competitive level, it just be, there was more pressure to perform and injuries obviously prevent you from performing. So you did everything you could, which, you know, is very detrimental to, to your body. And obviously like sometimes it can take a toll on you mentally just because sometimes there's some days where you feel like you're like making no progress and you're constantly just taking step back, steps back, trying to compensate with this injury. So it's tough, man. It's tough. So it, uh, it tests you for sure. And it's something I hope to see change, especially in, in men's sports for sure. Do you think there's any change possible with that? Cause it sounds like, you know, you have to be driven, you have to be motivated if you want to succeed. Like, do you think there's any room for that kind of mindset? Mm, that's a great point. Um, I, I mean, know. women's I sports are... too. Like totally, hundred percent. Good point. Good point. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm an optimistic person, so I want to say yes. I hope there is. I think it. I think with our generation having more awareness around it, I think that'll help because our generation is going to be the coaches and leaders and mentors and role models for the generations to come. So hopefully with awareness that we can like kind of practice what we preach. But um, I think it's tough because, uh, you know, at the college level that their coaches are under pressure, they're getting paid a decent amount of money to put food on their family's plate. So um, it's, it's tough. It's tough, especially as you just keep going up um, and the more competitive it gets. So I don't know, I guess to be determined, we'll see, we'll find out. Yeah. How was that shift from high school sports to D1? Yeah, it was a big jump for sure. I mean, I think just like preparation wise and then obviously like off the field stuff, like you're away from your parents for the first time. You're dealing with all these new things, trying to like construct this version of you because you're around all these new people. So um, there's just a lot going on, but it's also kind of cool because you get to like reinvent yourself a little bit which is why um, I feel like a lot of people have good freshman years, but bad sophomore years is because they don't really know what to expect going into their freshman year. And then once they kind of have that freshman year over and done with that sophomore year um, just has a lot more pressure built into it purely out of like what you did last year. Um, And you kind of put these expectations on yourself. So I feel like you just have a lot more um, expectations from outside people as well as yourself and you kind of just see what other people are doing and you realize that you're not the biggest fish in the water anymore. And so it's a ego check and um, for sure. So it's, there's so many, so many new things, um, but there's a lot of like pros and cons to it um, for sure. I'm just thinking about like that consistent pressure um, that you mentioned that's over, you know, however long that you're playing for, like every year, or I shouldn't even say every year. It's like every season, every moment you are thinking about what can I do to be better for this team and like to have a starting position and what that does to your mental health and your mindset. Totally. Totally. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's a double-edged sword for sure, because I think, uh, pressure can teach you a lot, um, for sure. And I think you start to learn that pressure is perceived. So you kind of can play games with yourself to almost trick yourself um, to think that there isn't pressure, if that makes sense, 
which is easier said than done for sure. Um, but I think that's where kind of like the why comes in. So for me, um, I feel like baseball wasn't always like the thing I wanted to do or the thing that was like my passion, if that makes sense. So my, my why wasn't really always there. Um, I loved just like showing up to the field and hanging out with my buddies and I loved playing baseball as well. Don't get me wrong, but there were a lot of other aspects of the game that I really enjoyed that kind of kept me coming back. Um, but at the end of the day, I feel like I was kind of beating my head against the wall just because my why wasn't, wasn't in the right place. Um, and it wasn't like what I was ultimately meant to do. So, um, it was tough for sure, but I feel like it kind of led me down this path to kind of just show me that like what I was meant to do and what I wasn't meant to do. Um, but the pressure was a lot for sure. I would imagine there's a ton of burnout then if you don't have that purpose or direction. hundred percent. And a lot of like, a lot of my teammates um, kind of have similar stories where they're really good athletes in high school. And like, maybe they played uh, like different sports um, and then they kind of, and it's kind of easy for them and it's so fun just because it's so easy. And then you kind of go to college and you're like, holy cow, like this isn't just purely for fun anymore. Like, I have to perform for this. And then you're meeting with like boosters and like they're talking to you about this stuff. And it's like, well, like where, where's like the fun in this? Where's like the, like for the joy of the game, it kind of feels like it's not there anymore sometimes. And it's more of a business. Um, so it was tough. And I feel like that's kind of where people get separated from like, this is truly what like a baseball player is like who they were meant to be compared to the people that maybe, their parents were the reason why they were playing or um, they did it because like that was their, that's where they got their sense of pride or that's where um, they received the most recognition or whatever it is. Um, I just feel like as time goes on, I mean, time is the biggest teller for sure to just see like who's doing it for the right reasons and who's not. And that goes for anything in life, any field. Um, so it's just uh it's interesting but it taught me so much about just life and uh how to deal with adversity and how to um just navigate like hardships in your life for sure what was that moment for you or when did it happen when you realized you know your why wasn't what you thought it was anymore mm, i'd say during my injury like during my hospital stay um i was in one hospital for three days and then I was in another hospital for six. And when I was in the hospital for six, I um, obviously had a lot of time on my hands. Yeah. So there was just a lot of like thinking being done. And um, then uh, that's kind of when I, I started, that was the first time I questioned whether or not like I wanted to keep playing baseball. Um, obviously it was kind of out of my hands a little bit, um, but it was the first time I'd ever questioned it. And then as I um, like post-surgery was around the team still, but obviously wasn't able to play for like six months. Um, wow. <laughs> but I was still around, I was still around the team. And that was like the happiest I've ever been when I wasn't, cause there was no, like, I wasn't putting pressure on myself to perform. And that was my biggest critic. Like it wasn't like the moment kind of made me feel like I needed to be something more than I was. And um, I think that was just like very hard on me and it be became like a slippery slope 
And when that was kind of taken away from me, it was almost like a sigh of relief. Like I don't, I don't need to do this anymore, but I still get to show up to the yard and see all my friends and watch like really good baseball. So um, that's when I was like, holy cow, like I'm really happy right now and I'm not playing. And, um, and, but I still decided to give another shot. The doctors told me to not, they, that they didn't recommend me playing baseball again. Um, but I, I just didn't feel like it was the right time to give up. So I gave it one more shot. Um, then obviously uh, I went to Nevada and it was taken out of my hands. So I'm glad I gave it another shot. I don't regret it. Um, I think I needed to, or else I would have kind of been living with regret. So, um, yeah, yeah. That's wild to think about. Like, again, for as long as I've known you, and I, you know, obviously for you, like, you have played baseball, I feel like, your whole life. What was that like to um, have to give that up? Yeah, I mean, it was pivotal. It was probably the biggest moment in my in my 23 years or about to be 23 years. Um, I mean, just so much of my identity was tied into being a baseball player. Like when I come home, my friends would introduce me and, you know, tell the person they were introducing me to that I played baseball at ASU. It was kind of the first thing I would tell people. So I think a lot of my identity was just tied up into being a baseball player. Um, And it was almost like, like I had to like reinvent myself um and I'm still reinventing myself for sure I still struggle to uh feel like a sense of of achievement and sense of pride sometimes just because I'm not I'm not competing anymore um I'm not playing baseball so I'm just trying to find ways to um kind of redefine myself and redefine my identity and I'm a well I got my undergrad in finance and a lot of you know not a lot, but they talk about diversifying your portfolio. I'm sure everyone who's done a little bit of research on investing has heard of this concept, but I feel like I've, I'm trying to learn how to diversify my identity. So um, I really like, enjoy writing. Um, so I've been trying to invest a lot more time into writing and feeling achievement and confidence, building confidence from my writing. Um, I enjoy like relationships and building and keeping relationships so I've been trying to invest more time into reaching out to like friends, old and new. Um, I'm trying to be like the best brother I can, the best boyfriend I can be. So just trying to find different ways to kind of dip my toe into these different buckets so that if I have like one thing taken away, I'm not going to like be completely uh, broken, if that makes sense. So it's... um a lot easier said than done, but, uh, and it takes a lot of time, but I, I feel like it's going to be worth it in the end. Yeah. Well, and I would imagine there's, um, some sort of like identity crisis when you're leaving a sport that you've known for so long. Was that process like, I guess, describe to me that process. Like, was it difficult mm. for you? Was it easy to just kind of pick up like, hey, I have these relationships I can now invest in? How was that? Mm. Well, it was kind of, I kind of eased into it. I kind of began to accept it while I was still playing. So as um, when I left ASU and um, transferred to Nevada during that summer, um, so this past summer of 2022, I kind of made it an emphasis to try and just branch out a little bit and try new things. Um, so I kind of eased myself into it. And um, 
I, I think it helped that I, um, you know, I was raised by, my dad was a teacher and a coach. So it was like very important that I had really good grades and stuff. So I did take like a lot of pride in school. Um, and I think that helped uh, just like kind of having that a little bit that I was still able to take pride in school and like classes and stuff. Um, and then I've always been just like really passionate about psychology ever since I took AP psychology in high school. Um, my passion for it and just like my curiosity for the mind and, and how powerful it is and how it's able to affect the body. Um, I mean, so many things. Um, so there was, I feel like some things that I kind of had to fall back onto, which was nice, but I, a majority of my identity was tied into tied into baseball. So when that day did come, um, it was hard. It was hard for sure. But I did, I kind of was anticipating it a little bit um, starting that summer. I kind of was trying to ease my way into some other things. And so psychology, <laughs> um, mm-hmm, I kind of right. want to tap into that. Uh, Cause I know I, I was looking at your like blog posts and stuff and um, mm-hmm. Luke has his own website. So I will attach it in uh, the episode link so everyone should go subscribe and go read all of his daily thoughts and blog posts because they're so mm-hmm. good um please do thank you yeah thank you. but I really loved um there was two that I really liked but the one that kind of caught my attention was like this navigating change one I think it was your eighth mm. or eighth or ninth one um okay this, yeah, yeah it doesn't matter but I I feel like it resonates a lot with this, you know, there's so much going on. We don't really know what's happening around us and what people are experiencing um, and just navigating change, like unexpected change with, especially with your career as baseball player and, you know, now having to change into something else. Like, I don't know. I love that post. It was so great. Thank you so much. Yeah. And um, I think, I, I think I wrote that about the time, I think I was leaving ASU um, and obviously I'd been living in Arizona for four years. So I was moving out of Arizona um, and I love Arizona. It's like such an amazing place. The weather is beautiful except for like two or three months a year. Um, and I had so many, I built so many friendships. Um, so it was definitely hard leaving Arizona and that's why you know I'm glad I had um, the blog and stuff. It just uh, was a great way for me to like kind of express that. And I've always um, kind of journaled. It's been like my thing. I feel like journaling has such a negative connotation, especially for like men and stuff. So you can call it a notebook. I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be a journal, but um, I just feel like writing down my thoughts, like writing down goals for the day or just setting intentions, whatever it is. It's just like such a handy tool to have. And you can even do it like in your notes in your phone. Um, but yeah, that, that navigating change one was big just because I was like feeling very just like anxious and scared for what the future, for what the future held. Um, so I think I just kind of wrote about how, um, and I was thinking about this today a little bit about how people because of social media and because of phones don't take time to be introspective and like think about what they really want and like what brings them joy um like and this could be like a leisure activity like walk I I love to walk so if I could like just get like a walk in um and then write like I feel like my days were like it was a good day if I did that and I feel like that kind of helped with my like anxiety around like 
having this massive change in my life and kind of a really big question mark on what the next couple months and years were going to look like. Um, so I just feel like I was passionate about like trying to help people understand that, like, if you could just figure out what really brings you joy uh, and what like you really enjoy investing your time into that, like those things have value in your life and you shouldn't ignore that. And you should like find time to plug those things into your days because it makes work or whatever a lot easier to accomplish if you feel like you have some things that you can kind of escape to. Mm-hmm. Do you imagine that um, with almost kind of being conditioned through sports to like not pay attention to what you want and to just be like, this is for the team, like do it for the team, like don't don't tap into how you're feeling and that pain. Do you think that do you think that was, I don't know, not hurtful, but do you think it impacted your healing like growth so far and being able to tap into your prior, uh, your own priorities and values? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, well, so I think in terms of like being a team player, um, it's kind of a double-edged sword and I feel like there's a lot of things in life that are a double-edged sword but um I mean I think there's something to say about like being a really good teammate for sure and just like having uh good character and you're being there for your teammates and stuff um but I also think it is tough especially um just kind of as you grow up and you continue to play um I just think there's a lot of focus on winning and there's not a lot of focus on like players mental health or hearing players out I had I could probably I could count on like one hand how many coaches in in college like really I felt like really listened to me um so it was just it was just tough you know and I get it like I said like they have they have pressures too so um it's a tough game and I I feel like it definitely uh you just got to have some grit and you got to have some like tough skin to like play um and continue to play kind of at that level so it definitely takes a unique person to be able to like kind of get through all that stuff and all the demands of performing at that level and maybe like being in like someone's shadow for a while and then having to um, like work your way up um, so it's a double-edged sword and kind of uh, in that way that it can like teach you things but it can also like suppress your voice and suppress like your needs if that makes sense I wonder how like the sports industry would change if coaches were more attuned to mental health if like their perform if like athletes performance would go up if it wouldn't I don't know mm-hmm. Well, it's changing for sure. I mean, at ASU, we had a sports psychologist or a mental performance coach uh, all four years I was there. Um, and I did an internship with um, the guy that was there for my first three years there. And then I have a close relationship with um, the uh, mental performance coach that worked with us my fourth year there because it was a different coaching staff. So it was different mental performance coaches. Um, and there's a lot of a lot of colleges that are hiring mental performance coaches just because I feel like a lot of coaches aren't like position coaches or head coaches aren't trained on that. They don't have any background really in psychology or. Um, yeah, just anything 
relevant to psychology. So I think it's I think it's changing for sure. But it's also tough when uh, you're trying to drive revenue, especially as you move up the chain. It's kind of tough um, because, you know, they kind of view players as assets, and not people. So I think the climate's changing for sure, but I think it's going to be a slow change. How was that internship? What did you learn? It was great. Uh, man, I learned so much. <laughs> so their, their kind of, their pillars were uh, movement, nutrition, and mindset. So um, they had like coaches specific, like strength and conditioning backgrounds um that were in charge of uh incorporating like movement plans into the clients lives and a majority of the clientele were like business business executives um so it was cool to just kind of see uh the different coaches and the different areas kind of interact with the clients and i did the internship i think i think it was 2021 so it was kind of like covid was going away a little bit um, but a lot of the stuff was done remote. So the company that I worked for was called Tignum, T-I-G-N-U-M. Um, and Scott Pelton was uh, the mental performance coach. Um, but he had set up a, uh, basically just this massive room with a bunch of different cameras. So it was almost like, um, and there was like a producer and someone else like running the Zoom chat. So it was kind of cool how they adapted um, to COVID how they were still able to make an impact over Zoom um, just because previously they had kind of usually either flown out to the company or uh, had the clients like fly out to Phoenix. Um, so it was great to just like learn and see how they dealt with um, a little like resistance from clients um, and then also being able to like hold clients accountable. So I learned so much just in terms of, and I'm, I just, I've learned a lot just watching people. So um just the fact that I got to be there and observe them interact with clients was huge. Do you think that's something that you're going to want to do later down the road? Um, I think I want to be like a, me a mental performance coach or like quote unquote life coach. I hate, I hate the word life coach. Um, I just feel like it's, there's so many people trying to go into that field um, that don't have the right why. So um but I kind of want to be something like that. And I don't necessarily know like for what group of people or if it is all groups of people, athletes, business people, first responders. Um, so I'm still trying to figure that out a little bit. I think obviously like athletics, I would have a good background for that. Um, and I think I could make an impact in that for sure. But I think that business is unique. And I think that if I make an, if I can make an impact on business executives that make decisions that affect millions of people, then I am in a roundabout way affecting a big group of people, if that kind of makes sense. So I think that's also an interesting field to kind of consider for sure, too. Well, I want to go back to that uh, point you made about kind of finding your why. So was there mm -hmm. anything that helped you do this or is helping you do this? Yeah, so um, I had like the most influential mentor I've had. Uh, I met going into my senior year of high school and he's the one that introduced me to journaling. And he had me, the first time I ever met him, he's like, go home. Well, he gave me two things. He's like, go home uh, and then the next day make your bed. And he's like, that's all I want you to do is make your bed. And then the other thing is I want you to write uh, 
a eulogy for yourself. So at your funeral, what would you want uh, your spouse or like whatever important person in your life, what would you want them to say about you? I think that's like a really good starting point is just like writing a eulogy for yourself and just asking yourself how you want to be remembered. Because at the end of the day, like your impact on people is all you have left when you leave. So um, I think that's a good place to start. And then I think kind of what we talked about before with just taking time to be introspective and consider what you enjoy um, investing your time into and what kind of takes you out of your mind a little bit. So that's what walking does for me. Um, that's why I kind of invest a lot of time or try to invest a lot of time into walking. It's because it kind of just takes me out of my mind and I'm just kind of able to step away from the world a little bit. I think it's a good point, you know, to just be flexible with change. But I think also just, you know, this is what you envision yourself right now to be. And if it works out, great. If it doesn't, at least you can work to become the person that you end up wanting to become later. And you have that goal. Totally. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think one other thing that kind of um, was a good just like guidance thing or just like a good, I call it like a mirror almost. It's like when you kind of just like certain checkpoints where you just kind of take time to reflect a little bit, but creating um, like short-term, long-term goals, whether it's like a weekly goal or a monthly goal or like three years, five years out, 10 years out. I think just like even just like dreaming about it. I don't know what word to use, but like just like building these dreams in your head and these like versions of yourself in the future, I think is, can be a very powerful tool. Um, Cause at least I feel like that's the first step is just like believing that you can do it. Um, so if I feel like if you could just write it down, no matter how big, like you think it is, or if you think you were showing someone else and they'd, they'd laugh at you, like who cares? Like it's all about you. Um, so I feel like creating that like vision for yourself, whether it's a month out, three years out, five years out, um, I think that can be a powerful tool too. It makes me think, have you heard of the um, psych theory? Well, I don't know if it's a theory, but it's called nonviolent communication. Mm, I have not. Um, a part of, I mean, mainly it's about, you know, communicating your needs and, you know, your emotions and relationships, but um Part of that concept talks about um, universal needs and like needs literacy. And when mm -hmm. you talk about like fulfillment, you know, really tuning into yourself and being like, you know, what needs are going are being met right now and also what needs are not being met so that you can really listen to what your gut is telling you that you need can be, you know, just a really, really helpful thing that I practice myself. Um, but I think 100%. that for anyone else, too. Yeah, I agree. And I think awareness is the first step in that, like you said, um, and just kind of knowing what you need and then um, taking that next step and communicating to like the, those people around you what you need um, is a lot easier said than done, but is a very empowering thing to do for sure. I feel like, do you think you were able to do that as an athlete? Like, able <laughs> no. to communicate your needs? no not at all i feel like we're in a whole no, different no, no, world no. though now that you've left um the athletic realm 100 percent. yeah i mean and no i mean obviously like with your within your team like there's probably certain teammates that you could kind of chop it up with and be like dude like <laughs> blah 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 this sucks like i this is i wish i was doing this or i need this but i i didn't really have a relationship with 
any of um, like coaches or uh, whoever, people that were uh, an authority figure. I didn't have a relationship with any of them that like I was comfortable communicating what I need. Maybe there was one, there was probably one or two. There's obviously some good and bad people everywhere you go, but um, it definitely is tough, especially when you're kind of raised in like this, like we talked about um, of just like not, not being in your body, you kind of just ignore your body and all the signals that's sending you. So, and what your body needs. So I think ignoring those, um was kind of ingrained in in me and, and a lot of my teammates for sure it sounds like you've you're starting to reconnect with yourself though which is great no doubt about it I think I think the blood clot was a wake-up call for sure because I just I'd, I'd put off pain for so long and, and my arm had been killing me for so long um so it definitely was just like a wake-up call for me to kind of being more in tune with my body um, and just taking time to do like whether it was meditating or just taking time to like just be aware and relax a little bit and kind of feel um, just what was going on in my body. Do you think there was an aspect of like people pleasing when you were on team sports? I mean, a hundred percent. I mean, you definitely didn't want to step on any of your coach's toes for sure. I mean, you wanted to, um, I mean, obviously you don't, the team comes first, like, especially in, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously you're going to have a better, usually more often than not, you're going to have a better relationship with your teammates than you are with your coaches. And at the end of the day, like if a team has a really good, has really good chemistry, um, that's, what's going to take them to a championship, not necessarily like the relationship between the coaches and the players. So, yeah, I mean, people pleasing. Yeah, it's definitely, I don't know if that's, I think that there was a little fear in it too. I think, um, some teammates were like scared to communicate um, injuries maybe because it was the draft or maybe because they, you know, were supposed to pitch that Friday or uh, whatever. But I think like people pleasing maybe combined with a little bit of fear was definitely just like a, a bad combination for uh, listening to what your body needs. I think over time too, like the more that you practice that, the more it just becomes a habit and not saying it's impossible to break, but, you know, being aware of it, it's just, it becomes your new normal and breaking it would mm-hmm. just be so difficult. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the new normal thing of just like your body kind of just gets into a rhythm of it and it gets so used to it and you build up this tolerance for pain. Um, so it's a slippery slope. So after or even during um, your time as an athlete, did you ever get counseling? Um, so, yeah, we had a um, sports psychologist uh, on on staff, um, but I feel like there were some things that I wasn't comfortable talking about, and that's kind of when I started therapy. Um, so I had my first therapy session uh man I want to say my sophomore year so that was before COVID happened I think that was like 2019 um and that was a psychiatrist and um I was diagnosed with uh like generalized anxiety ADHD or I'm sorry ADD and OCD um and I was I was prescribed some medication and um did that for a while but kind of felt that that medication emphasized some of the symptoms I was having in terms of like my anxiety. So 
Um, my ADD medication was um, helping my racing thoughts, but also kind of making me just more anxious. Or when I was anxious, I was kind of being consumed by it. But overall, I was less anxious, if that makes sense. Um, and then I kind of felt like my needs were being met with that therapist, which I feel like I've, a lot of people have experienced. And I feel like that's kind of why therapy gets a bad rap. But I think what people need to realize about therapy is that just like not every police officer is bad and just like not every teacher is bad, like not every therapist is bad. And like there are going to be bad therapists out there and like people that are in it for the wrong reasons, but that doesn't mean like you should stop trying because um, there is someone out there that can probably help you and relate to you and make you feel heard. So that's what I did. I kind of um, just asked some people um, and kind of through my family got hooked up with um, my second therapist to help me out a lot and just um, was kind of confirming these feelings of frustration I was having um, with some of the people I was closest with and um, introduced me to IFS, which is, I think it stands for Integrated Family Systems. Um, I could be wrong on that. But it basically I just, right. I think it's integrated family systems, but it basically just brings awareness to these different parts. Um, parts is kind of the term that IFS uses, but I kind of, I think they sh these parts show up as voices in your head. So I like to use the analogy of the devil and the angel on your shoulder, but um, it's kind of, it's multiplied because you have all these different parts that stem from experiences you've had with friends, parents, mentors, whoever, um, your childhood, how you were raised from the day you were born, um, all these different aspects and all these different environments affecting these parts of you that turn into voices in your head. And sometimes the wrong voices get center stage and create this nar narrative that um, kind of reinforces the feelings you had, whether it was good or bad, um, in those experiences and uh, whatnot that kind of shaped you. So, so are those versions, are those versions of yourself or like people in your life that come up? I mean, I think it can be either one. It can be either oh, okay. one. Um, I think that <clears throat> there's... Um, I don't know. It's a really good question, actually. I think um, for me, it it just it shows up as like dialogue in my head. And it's almost like um, I guess you could envision it as so when I was a little kid, I guess it's like you as like a little kid shows up, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I had a couple of experiences as a kid um, where. Uh, well, I, so I'll talk about there was a couple experiences as a kid where I was um, like deathly afraid of storms. And um, so anytime I'm feeling like anxious or um, I don't know, just like not feeling like myself or feeling like I needed to like get out of a situation, I just would kind of envision myself as a little kid feeling anxious as well, like seeing this really big black cloud coming towards me. Um, and just like in my head and like this isn't in every moment but in like meditation or if I'm just like taking time I would like console this version of myself or this like 
eight-year-old Luke that is just like going through it right now. So I feel like just identifying different moments in your life and different memories can be powerful. There's also another metaphor that um, one of the mental performance coaches at ASU taught me is that, um, and I kind of combined it with IFS into like my own little meditation thing, but he basically told me that you envision your life as a filing cabinet. And during your meditation, you kind of visualize opening up this filing cabinet and then a folder may pop up and then you just kind of dive into this folder and each folder is like a memory. So a lot of my memories, good and bad, were uh, athletics based. So um, yeah, there are just a couple of memories that like got brought up that were pretty detrimental to like my confidence and um, who I thought I was as a person. Um, uh, so in those moments and in those memories, I would kind of go into those memories as myself today. Um, and like I said, I would just like console this little kid uh, version of Luke that was kind of just going through it at the time. Um, and this is kind of like an abstract thought and it might not work for everyone, but it works for me. And I ended up, ball, I was bawling my eyes out, like thinking about oh. what this, what this little Luke needed. So um, I don't know. I just feel like so many people like push things down or like don't take time to kind of rehash these memories just because they're so painful. Um but I feel like visualization and like through meditation, I, whatever you want to call it. And that exercise honestly helped me so much just because it brought awareness to kind of why I have these beliefs about myself that aren't true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, there's an analogy that I use with my clients um, specifically having to do with trauma. And mm -hmm. I think of it as a beach ball and you're like in the water, right? Um, mm -hmm. And when you push down the beach ball, trying to push it underwater, what happens? Pops back up, right? right. Yeah, pops yeah. back up. Um, but you can't control it, right? It may hit you. It may hit someone else in the water. You can't control it. Um, mm -hmm. And to me, that's trauma, right? The more that we repress and repress, mm -hmm. um, the more it's going to come up. And it's going to hit you in the face. It's going to hit someone else. It's going to impact someone in your life. Um, I love that. I love that. But I think you're right. Like the visualizations are super important for people. I think they're super helpful. Um, and yeah. yeah, dealing with the stuff that's maybe not right in our face. Sometimes they're deep within us that we don't know about yet. Totally. Yeah, 100%. And I think you kind of touched on it of just like when you push things down, like it's going to show up in your life in different places and you're going to maybe treat some people uh in a way that they don't deserve because of like you pushing that down. So I, I love that analogy because it's, it's true and uh, easy to visualize for sure. Yeah. I, I don't know. I need to know more people in the IFS world. I, it's super like, I don't know if it's super new, but I know it's like up and coming and I think a lot yeah. of people are liking it. Um, mm -hmm. I've heard like inner child stuff. Is that kind of the same thing? Um. I think it's very similar. I think it's very similar. Um, I'm not, I'm not trained on it. Sadly, I've been like through the therapy. Um, so from my understanding, it's kind of just, um, well, I was watching, uh, do you watch Joe Rogan at all? The yeah. Podcast. So I was watching one with David Goggins today and he said that, um, like about, about the time you're seven, you already have like kind of this sense of who you are. So I feel like 
the first like handful of years of your life is like so vital and it's so like being a parent is the hardest job on this planet like it's um it's so hard to just like raise kids right so it's um but it's just amazing to me how like early um the mind kind of develops these narratives about yourself just based off of like little interactions you have um as a child so i i think um yeah i think it's kind of a very similar concept or idea mm-hmm. um that just like kind of this inner child in you comes out in different ways um which is very interesting for sure yeah i think it's uh going back to your point a little earlier i think um like you were saying like you know there's so many different approaches when it comes to psychology and you know some of them work some of them don't and it kind of just depends on who you are in your background and what you think is helpful so whether it's because you're an athlete whether it's because you know you're single mom like whatever the case is um they're all going to hit us differently so yeah definitely um try out all the different approaches there's cbt there's like a dbt which is kind of under cognitive behavioral therapy there's you know ifs mm-hmm. there's there's so, feminist theory <laughs> there's so much mm-hmm. there's so many so. yeah you gotta find what's right for you for sure and i think at least for me i kind of was more attracted to a therapist that kind of took a more active role in my therapy and like giving me suggestions and homework and um obviously having a conversation and like just talk about the trauma i think is kind of what brings that awareness but then kind of getting an idea of what the next steps are so that you can kind of chase that best version of yourself um, is huge as well. But kind of like you said, I think there's not one style is like good for everyone and not one perspective is good for everyone. So I think you just need to find um, a therapist with a background that you kind of align with and that may take time, but I think it needs to be a priority in everyone's life. I think it makes sense that you like that solution focus kind of approach. I'm, I mean, being yeah. an athlete, like give me something so I can work on it so I can like it right. later. Like uh, exactly. I, I like the solution focused as well. Um, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it just makes sense, but yeah, not everyone likes it, but I, it makes sense. I think why you like it as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree. It definitely aligns with, um, I don't know. I mean, you definitely have to find a line of like giving yourself grace too for Mm -hmm. sure and just kind of being patient with yourself but um it's definitely feels a lot more rewarding and a lot more worth my time if i have an idea of what my process is to kind of become that best version of luke so just to kind of wrap things up um Mm -hmm. do you have any based off your experience and everything that you've been through so far and kind of where you are in life right now um, what kind of recommendations would you want to offer to the listeners today? Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing um, that kind of helped me just because there were, you know, especially around my injury, there were some dark days for sure. So I think that um, just like baby steps, I wrote a, I wrote a little like blurb about it on my website, but I think just finding like two or three things that you do every day consistently, no matter what, no matter how you feel whether you're sick, whether you got two hours of sleep, just finding like two or three things that you can do every single day. So for me, it was, I would get up, I drink a bunch of, I mean, this isn't. So for me, the three things were walking, writing, and meditating, meditating or breathing. Mm -hmm. So I'd get up in the morning 
and make my bed, drink some water, and I'd go on a walk. And then um, usually I'd like knock out some homework and then I'd knock out my meditation. And then um, after that, after kind of the day was over, I'd write and kind of reflect on my day. And if I did those three, three days that day, was a, or if I did tho- those three things, that day was a success. So I feel like just kind of redefining how you view success mm-hmm. um, and investing time into like three things, two or three things every day and viewing like those things as wins, like small wins. Um, I just feel like so many people kind of get this idea that you need to be doing all these things like all the time just because successful people like quote unquote successful people are doing all these things when in reality you kind of just need to start small and like build your way up and eventually like you maybe like you'll get to the point where you can tackle bigger things but I feel like so many people just set up these lofty goals and then set themselves up for disappointment or whatever so I feel like finding two or three things that you can do every single day no matter what um helped me a lot to just kind of get going and and kind of um yeah I'm forgetting what like the Greek story was but um I forget his name but he did something and he was a god and he he upset he upset the other gods somehow but he was basically <laughs> sentenced to push this rock up a hill every single day and once he would get to the top the rock would roll back down and he'd have to go push it up uh again over and over and over for us for eternity and I feel like that's kind of my perspective on life is just like you're constantly going to be pushing the walk, the rock, like suffering is never going to go away, but I feel like you just, you build your resilience to that suffering. So I feel like if you can just kind of have the, accept the idea that like suffering and anxiety and depression and all that stuff is never going to go away, but you're going to get better at like navigating those things and kind of building that, resiliency um i feel like that kind of just helped change my perspective a little bit and kind of empowered me to feel like i have control and i can do something like day in and day out i feel like that it kind of ties into those things like doing the two or three things you do every single day is pushing the rock up the hill um and there's going to be days where like that rock's going to be a lot heavier for sure and you're not going to make as much progress now those are the days where you need to be patient with yourself but I feel like those are kind of two things um, for sure. And then last thing is read, just like pick up a book and read. I think so many people um, have just, I don't know. I think reading has lost a lot of value. So I feel like the more, and I'm a big fan of paperback books. Like I I don't, don't use a Kindle. (laughs) I highly recommend just like reading books. Um, And the good place to start is the art of happiness by the Dalai Lama. And I'm forgetting the, author other author's name but the art of happiness is such a good book um and it kind of talks about that suffering piece and how like suffering is never going to go away you just kind of get better with uh, dealing with it and i think you know that point that you made about being patient with yourself and allowing some flexibility because you know like you you never know what you're gonna not be able to accomplish for the day and I don't it's it's not to say like hey it's okay to make excuses for things but sometimes things just come up and when we're creating new habits too like it just takes time so yeah 100%. Be, patient. be patient with yourself it's yeah it's not gonna happen overnight all right well thank you so much for joining me today it was great to have you on the show thank you so much Morgan it was great uh talking to you and uh really enjoyed our conversation 
Yeah. And thank you to all the listeners today tuning in and listening. Um, if you are interested in following along, subscribe. I am on Spotify and Apple and Google Podcasts. And follow my Instagram at holistic underscore healing LC. Um, or just reach out to me for wellness sessions, tarot readings. Um, or if you just want to be a guest on the next show, like DM me. I'd love to have you on and to hear your experience. Uh, so thank you so much. Talk to you all soon. Bye.